It's our yearly look at the Emmy-nominated animated shows. It's been a long year. What year are these Emmys for? Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Animated, a podcast about, what are we about? Storytelling and animation and award-winning, critically acclaimed animation that is, um, in many cases, fancy fart jokes. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. (laughs) And today we're talking about the Emmy non-Emmy too many M's and N's. Emmy nominated. I'm drinking tea. Emmy nominated <laughs> shows for the Emmy Awards happening this year, 2021. So for a lot of animation that happened last year um, in 2020 and then throughout 2021 in some cases. Um, and when I say fancy fart jokes, I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as a compliment, an exquisite compliment. I mean, we, we always talk hear about justified fart jokes, you know, or like those bad jokes, the easy jokes. Um, And I feel like a lot of these nominees don't go for the easy joke or they go for the easy joke in a fun, unexpected way. It's a new, fresh, pine-scented fart joke, if it happens. I mean, it really takes skillful writing to do the easy joke in a new way. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put that. I have nothing but respect for, like, good new flavors of easy joke. Love it. Yes. If you could tell me, like, collect all the fart jokes of the year in any form, anywhere that happened in the world, and say, like, these are the five best fart jokes of the year, I would watch that award show. I want those five best fart jokes of the year. Well, here are the nominees for <laughs> just. <laughs> I don't think all of these have fart jokes in them, but no, it's. I'm definitely exaggerating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, read us the nominees, Chris. Sorry. So the nominees for well, there are two uh, Emmy categories that we're going to talk about. We're not going to go into depth on all of the possible nominees and everything. Um, We're just going to give you a little bit of an idea about why these particular episodes or these particular shows might be might be nominees. Uh, So we have the outstanding animated program and then we have the outstanding short form animated program categories for outstanding animated program. The nominees are Big Mouth in their episode season four, episode one, The New Me. Bob's Burgers, the episode Worms of Enrearment. Uh, Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal, the episode Plague of Madness. South Park, the pandemic special. And The Simpsons, The Dad Feelings Limited. And then for outstanding short form animated program, we have Love, Death, and Robots, the episode Ice. Maggie Simpson in The Force Awakens from Its Nap. 
Once Upon a Snowman, and Robot Chicken, and Game. And in this episode of Raiders Can Animated, while we may not spend too much time on any individual one of these, we're going to cover them um, at, at a high level. So expect some spoilers. Yes. Uh, if you were holding out and watching these after you find out what one, this is not the podcast episode to listen to. It's all spoiler today. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it because we, to, to give the high level, we need to dig in about what makes them unique and special and why these particular episodes were nominated. Um, we have, and we usually go through whenever we do these animated or we go through our best of show at the end of the year, we, we look for themes. Uh, I think <laughs> rightly or wrongly, uh, there are, yeah, Chris, was there a theme to 2020? I feel like there were. I feel like three out of the five <laughs> nominees <laughs> have to do with plagues uh, or illness of a, of you know uh, a certain sense. Some of them doing it at a sideways. One of them not doing it. I don't think on purpose. And then one uh, where it's just taking it head on as you would expect them to. So, yeah, I think plague is is a theme in the animated programs. But I don't think there's a theme in the short form animated other than uh, riffing on things that already exist is maybe a theme. I mean, some of for parody and some for just doing more in the same universe. I mean, with like the Academy Award nominated shorts, that's almost never an existing property. And there's really an art form to telling a complete story in 15 minutes or less. Um, and then for the Emmys and what goes on TV, that kind of goes out the window and you can establish a lot more by choosing an existing property. So while not all of them are based on existing IP, I think that it is um, easier to tell a story when you can choose something so big and obvious that the audience can come in and just kind of know already what's happening. Right. I'm not sure that any of these are, that's a lie. Any of the ones based on existing IP, I'm not sure they're a complete story on their own. Mm. But they certainly exist and um, are good. For what they do. Yeah. Yes. So which one should we start with? Should we start with shorts and then move to the animated programs? I feel like animated program just because I want to get the COVID stuff out of the way. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Let's get COVID out of our systems collectively. Okay. So, yeah, you mentioned that some of these have to do about um, plague and sickness in some way, sometimes directly, sometimes not. Which one? Let's cover those three first. Should we start with South Park as the most head-on one? Let, let's, I, I feel like you'd have to. Um, so... South Park, the pandemic special. Surprise, it's about COVID and the pandemic. 
it follows Stan's dad. I can never remember his name. I always want to... For so long when I was watching South Park, which was... Dear God, 20 years ago when I was watching South Park. Um, I, I He was not a big character. And much like The Simpsons, you know, your characters, who's a main character and who's not a main character, shifts and changes. So I totally know who he is and I totally know his character, but I didn't know what he was up to uh, until until I watched this this episode of South Park. Yeah, I mean, shows grow and change, like you said. Um, it definitely feels kind of like, you know the moment when you're in college or shortly after and you go see a Disney movie and you suddenly go like, oh, the parents are right. Uh, <laughs> I kind of feel like to some degree that they, making South Park has become that. Like, yeah, I don't watch it frequently, uh, but I feel like to a certain degree, the creators have gone like, I want to talk about the adults here. Mm. <laughs> I have some perspectives to share about this. Which, yeah, I think that's a really good point because it does follow Stan's dad as he creates a new uh, strain of <laughs> marijuana, a nice pandemic special that he creates and starts selling. Uh, so he gets, I, I love the word play of just, you know, nobody's interested in a pandemic special. <laughs> will people want a pandemic special or people will, are, is there even people who need this? What, what is putting the pandemic special out in the world going to actually do for people? And I love that they're comp, which is total South park thing. Like, we're going to make fun of the thing that we're doing as we're doing it mm-hmm. and ask those questions on, but also the same thing on, are we able to process what we're still in, in the midst of, you know, we can't really process what this is, but the, the technology and the way that South Park is done and always has been done, uh, it could be really, quick about their response to things it's always been extremely topical it's this is going to sound really weird i feel like it's really like entertainment wise subconsciously reaching deep back into those theater roots of responding to what's topical locally and currently and doing some commedia dell'arte sketches about it and i think south park is really successful at capitalizing on how quickly they can make an episode and say something before anyone else can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought this episode, while it was doing that, and I think that it would be insane for South Park to not acknowledge the pandemic. <laughs> right. You knew it was coming. It had to happen. Uh, but I think this episode also does a really good job, like, communicating that fine line to the audience and acknowledging when it's on either side of that line of being both something that's really bitingly funny and also like wistfully somber and philosophical of like, what are we doing? Why is this happening? Why are we doing this? Well, is there any point to this? I mean, I like that they take things that are happening. 
So the whole idea of defunding the police and what, what if that happened in South Park? So the police have been defunded. The teachers all don't want to go teach because of COVID. So now the police are in charge of teaching. So how can they make a comment about that at the same time? Um, and it is interesting watching this, you know, when, we're, <laughs> when we were hopefully out of <laughs> the pandemic as a look back on the early days of the pandemic in a way, you know, the whole start of Zoom and muting people and, you know, just everyone locked down. And then that first time setting, sending kids to school uh, and having like plastic barriers and tape on the floor of where you can stand and here's this and everyone in masks. It's just interesting that we're still there and but not yeah it's a little bit sad this was like the last season premiere last september and now it's been a year and it still feels topical right so womp which i feel like there's going to be something to be said coming out soon about variants and you know it's not all just about having intercourse with a pangolin um, I mean, I can tell you that the South Park episode about the variants is already going to be both about COVID variants and a play on like the Loki show in variants in multiple universes. And it's just mo- going to be that as an episode of South Park, which I can't wait for. Yeah, <laughs> I will watch that. <laughs> I don't watch South Park a lot, but oh, it'll be funny. <laughs> and I, I do enjoy uh, I, I think, as you were saying, is the tone of South Park just flips. And I like that they go, they take everything to its inevitable extreme. And that's what I appreciate. It's like they will take something that they start small and just ride that all the way out and say, well, if this is the case, then this is going to be how this ends up. Mm-hmm. If, if these things are true, then <laughs> here we go. And while I'm I'm not the biggest South Park fan of the world, I don't actively watch except for like the big stuff that gets nominated for an Emmy. <laughs> uh, I do think the South Park movie is one of the greatest animated movie musicals ever made, and this episode does not disappoint by beginning with a musical number like on par with anything you'd get in that movie, and it sets the bar very high for this extra special long episode that it it does not dip below. Mm-hmm. That's the highest praise for a non-South Park fan to like tell you, go watch this. Non-South, non-South Park, non-musical fan. That's, yeah. I mean, I like music, musical numbers that are motivated by plot and don't just happen. And uh, the, the musical number here is like the establishing shot. Here's where we are as characters emotionally mm-hmm. with clever wordplay. Bless them. Don't watch it with your kids. Uh, Ever. Any episode of South Park, maybe especially not this one. <sighs> Shall we talk? Where do we go next? Let's. Should we go to COVID adjacent? Yeah, and let's go to COVID Bob's, adjacent. Bob's Burgers. Yeah. 
So Bob's Burgers, Worms of Enrearment. It's about worms, butt worms. Mm-hmm. Um, a plague of butt worms going through people and making sure to wash your hands. But somehow at school, it still happened. And it's going through the whole family now, uh, having a case of butt worms. And Jean, the uncleanliest of the children, is the one who has the butt worms. And that's like DEFCON 5. Because <laughs> if you have to like wash your hands and be clean and like respect social norms and boundaries, Jean is not the child <laughs> you want to have that problem. <laughs> And I, I think this episode, regardless if it was actually made with COVID in mind, which it might not have oh, been based on timing. I feel like it had to have been, though. Like, when did it, how, how long does it take to make a Bob's Burger? Longer than a South Park. Right? But I feel like it could have, it, it had to have been. The, the amount that they talked about hand washing and you're going to get it. And Linda just trying to get back to normal life. And just go to the concert and live, like, just leave the house and go do something as a, like, how could it not be about COVID? Or it just resonated. It just happened to exist and it resonated with everyone based on topical events. Hmm. If it was made with COVID in mind, I do appreciate they, like, walk the fine line of, like, not shaming anyone. And just kind of, like, find a way in the Bob's Burgers fashion, like, talk about, like, this happened. It sucks. We're a family. We're doing it in this loving way. Like, I don't want your worms, but like, you having worms is not your fault. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, you, I think you're right. But it's interesting that right now we're dealing with horse dewormer. <laughs> Being used to, um, by some, by some folk. Hopefully, none of our listeners. Um, I don't think any of our listeners. <clears throat> but my goodness, that's that's just funny to me. <laughs> that's the thing now. Yeah, that, I mean, the world is... Um, a joke out of uh, an adult animated program, Emmy-nominated episode at this point. So, yeah. How are they? What jokes are they going to be able to make after these years that we've lived through? Nothing. It's all done. It's all been used. Goodness. Do we have anything else to say about Bob's Burgers? Uh, no. Okay. So I guess that leaves us with our third COVID-adjacent one. Uh, Gandhi Tartakovsky's Primal, Plague of Madness. Right? Is that the last one? That, that is the last one I was thinking of, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, it was Big Mouth. Um, <laughs> which is a... No, nope. Nope. Not going to say a bad thing about Big Mouth. Because I, uh, I, I enjoy Big Mouth. I, I was just going to make a joke and I didn't want the creators of Big Mouth who listen to our podcast, obviously, to be like, oh, does he not like But I was like, no, I do like Big Mouth. Yeah, I, got, this is a, I know I'm personally judging the Emmys, so I take it very personally here. Uh, <laughs> this is a very hard year to choose between. I feel like everything nominated is actually 
a really good choice. Well, spoilers for me. I feel like Plague of Madness, out of all of them, like handles its subject matter in the most interestingly and strongest animated storytelling of all of them. I, I, I definitely agree. It's the best animated and best told visually. Um, and, and kind of like the, the way that you've got to appreciate a writer who can do a new fresh take on a fart joke. Um, Plague of Madness is a new fresh take on zombies. Yes. Question mark. Zombies and dinosaurs. I, I know. Has no one done zombie dinosaurs before? That feels like a really missed opportunity. And even if they had, this would be different than what was done before. Yeah. I was definitely on the edge of my seat the entire time. And it, it felt like a much longer episode than it was. A lot happens. You're right. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, how the plot is laid out. Like the real big, we don't see our main characters in this show until a lot of the way through. Um, we just get this idyllic scene of these long-necked dinosaurs just chilling and setting up how lovely their life is. And, hey, here's here are the nests of eggs. And look how nice these dinosaurs are. They're so peaceful. And then some lunatic, zombie-crazed dinosaur, small in comparison, just runs out of the wood runs out of the forest and runs around, runs around. And it takes it a while before it bites the one long neck that we're following. You're just like, I know this is coming. I know it's about to happen. And it just plays with that expectation. And it's just done so well in terms of there's a bite, nothing happens. And it just lingers for a little while. And then there's a shot of the brontosaurus being crazed. Like it just takes so long before that payoff of yep he's he's a crazy zombie now i mean it's paced a lot like uh like a classic zombie movie it's almost like night of the living dead mm-hmm. except an animated like <laughs> adult short <laughs> short not short i mean no i mean shorter than a movie it'd be a sh- <laughs> short film yes that's true. That's a fact. <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, I forgot how rough Primal was watching this. Yeah, it could, it emotionally plays with you for a show with almost no vocalized form of dialogue. Um, it keeps you guessing. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, the best episode of the series. Hmm. Yeah, I like the show. This is one that I do watch every episode of, and this is my favorite. <laughs> hmm. I'm just thinking of the scene where they're stuck in the cave and then trying to sneak out and think that the dinosaurs like finally dead, and then just how long that takes and how excruciatingly slow it is for them 
to tiptoe and go past. And it's like, what is happening? And the, the final showdown after that, I think, is just some of the coolest zombie work that I've ever seen. It's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. It's pretty wild. I did not know that it More was headed that. there. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Woo, boy. <laughs> I will pay for the movie version of this. Thank you. <laughs> it's the best Jurassic World that I've seen. Oh, goodness. It's one of those things. Have you ever seen a movie where you're like, wow, that was really good and really meaningful. And I hope I never watch it again. Oh, yeah. Requiem for Dream. That's exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly the one that I think of with that. Um, I watched that movie, watched the whole credits in the dark because I was like too traumatized to like turn off my computer. And I like stopped. I was like, that was a really good movie. And sure enough, because I loved it so much, I went out and bought the DVD. I never watched that DVD. It's just a DVD that I bought because I liked the movie. And um, it's never been used. I think I did the same thing with Seven. (laughs) (laughs) I I own this now. Congrats, studio. I've never watched it. I've never watched it. You got our money because the movie's so good. Doesn't mean we like it any less. It was just a mistake that I shouldn't have bought it because I don't ever want to watch that movie again. It's great. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. Both of those, both Seven and Requiem. I'm never watching them again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you, Candy. Um, I will watch other episodes of Primal, but I don't know if I could ever like rewatch an episode I've already seen. Like, I feel like I could watch the new surprising ones and see where the story's headed, but. I'm like, yo, oh, that's that one. I don't think I could do that one again. It's intense. So I think it's the knowing what's coming. The not knowing is okay. But like knowing like, oh, this is the episode with the the zombie brontosaurus. Yeah, I don't think I want to watch that. But like (laughs) not knowing there's going to be a zombie brontosaurus. I think it's I think it's a better experience. sentence that <laughs> I never thought one year ago Chris never thought he would say absolutely speaking <laughs> of one year ago um, let's let's talk about things that don't have COVID in them that was more than one year ago I well I was trying to make a better segue into Big Mouth because Big Mouth uh shows what change can happen to a char- to characters after a long time has passed, like after a year has passed. I will say um, Big Mouth is another show that I don't follow regularly. I'm happy to watch the Emmy nominations. And I was super excited that this was the season premiere and started with a recap of what happened for people like me. <laughs> a lot happened in season three. And it, I feel like Big Mouth... Um, is having some of the same, I don't want to say issues, uh, that South Park and The Simpsons have, which is um, it was about these couple of main characters, but now we've done a good job trying to give everybody a story. And so now we have to follow everyone's through line. So it's not just like everyone's a throwaway story. 
It's we've had to keep stories going and through lines going, which isn't bad. Um, I think it just happened a lot sooner for Big Mouth because we're only on season four <laughs> now. And it's like, I don't know who's doing what. Um, you know, it's like, is that person still with the pillows? Is this person still <laughs> over here doing this other thing? Which monster is connected to whom? Like, I, it, a lot has happened. Well, I think it gets us sooner because it's a show about hormones and puberty and change. Like, these, these characters are growing. They have to grow by necessity. Time will pass in this show. You're not saying that I'm a bad person for not allowing characters to change, right? You're just saying like that's no. okay. That that's just the nature of Big Mouth. Like I, I don't think it would be successful if things didn't have consequences and change didn't happen. Yes. If it's impactful because that does happen in a show like this. And it happens faster at a more rapid pace because yeah. the characters are changing in with each other it's like a giant pool table and you know all the i think this is an apt thing to say and all the balls are just hitting each other all over the all over the place yeah that's fair i i did love speaking of side characters i forget her name but she was in the b plot of this episode um the nick kroll is a girl the blonde yes yeah um I, in my household, we do love the Kroll Show short publicity, um, which is about two Liz's running a PR firm. That's amazing. Love that. There's like five of them, and they're all brilliant. Um, England, London, England. Um, and I feel like the the blonde girl character that's just Nick Kroll as a girl uh, is a continuation of his publicity character, and I live for her. I'm so glad she got like more screen time in this episode. <laughs> they have been building her up quite a lot. It's one of those characters that started off as a side joke and now is given some heart and backstory. And it's nice when that happens, but not too much heart. Like still, I don't want to say theater of the grotesque, you know, but I feel like a lot of these characters are like, let's, let's still keep it a little bit funky and weird. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like here, let's give them heart, but we, we won't take it completely seriously. They'll still be like 70% of a joke. Yeah. And speaking of getting to the, the, the meat of this episode uh, and the new character they introduce, uh, who is a transgender character, I thought that's a, a natural continuation of the whole core concept of the show of Big Mouth with the hormone monsters. Like, well, what if we had a character like this? Mm-hmm. Um, and they do that in a way that I think is, I mean, not being transgender myself, so I can't speak for the community in any way. Um, I thought that it was respectful. Um, at me on Twitter if you think that I'm incorrect, and I would love to be corrected no more. Mm. Um, but I thought it was done in such a way that's like this: this child is one of the other kids. 
and like there's realities to this and there's just how they actually act and this is not an after school special this is this is the character they are this we're going to keep making the same dumb jokes right yeah i think for me i wasn't quite sure there there are several shows where it's like it's um am i is it okay for me to laugh at this mm-hmm. or is this um is this actually doing the supportive work that it thinks it is or is this somehow uh, you know denigrating something or someone and so i i liked it and i was laughing but i was like is this empowering who did they talk to like i always wonder mm-hmm. about the dramaturgy and the the representation behind the scenes who did they who did they involve who did they talk to and that's that's the question that i have about it well it's like for how to kill a mockingbird is um, yes i'm comparing big mouth to kill a mockingbird we, sorry we but. we love doing this this is this is our this is our jam this is totally <laughs> this is our vibe I realize the absurdity of what I was saying as I was leaving my mouth. But To Kill a Mockingbird, and this is not denigrating Big Mouth in any way, To Kill a Mockingbird is a story about racism for white people, Mm. from white people, by white people. (laughs) And and I don't mean this in a bad way about this episode of Big Mouth, but it's a story about uh, transgender people for cis people. And what it values, it's not done the after school special way it's not like well you shouldn't react like this children to your Mm. friend um it's like the boys are gonna make fun of this character and ask dumb stupid questions and we're not going to overtly say why that's bad we're going to show you the emotional arc of the character um as they come to terms with how their former friends um see her and making friends with uh jesse mm-hmm and bearing the hatchet. I'm bad at character names here. I know we're really bad at the these shows that we don't watch every episode of. We're not sure. Yeah. Um, so I I saw what they were going for with the arc, and like it's not overtly preachy, uh, like a Seventh Heaven special or something about this. I pulling it out of a hat. It's probably really Seventh Heaven would be offended, and Big Mouth would be offended by that comparison. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> Um, but it's, it shows you by becoming emotionally attached to the new character, how wrong and dumb the boys were to be asking the questions that they had. <laughs> but knowing that those are questions that middle school boys are going to have for their friend. It's the reality of right now and where we are as a culture with the idea of someone being transgender. Mm-hmm. And Big Mouth doesn't ignore those realities. Um, it's like every 2003 episode of anything that dealt with any gay character that had the inevitable plot of like, don't say that's so gay. Like, I never want to watch one of those again in my life. But <laughs> that all happened in the early 2000s. And that was the reality. And that's what happened. So you're saying they were meaningful. They had an impact. At the time. But you don't... <laughs> but I don't ever want to watch it again. Yeah, like, thank you, straight allies, for teaching other mainstream straight people not to do that. 
Um, <laughs> it wasn't for me. It never was. Um, I'm glad that it existed. I'm sure that the Sips of Big Mouth is... I, I am sure there are transgender people out there who are glad it exists, but I don't know that this was made with <laughs> them as a target audience in mind. Understood. Again, I'm not saying anything bad about Big Mouth. That's just my, my feeling and takeaway of how it was made. And it's okay. Cool. Now, shall we talk about The Simpsons? Oh, yes. I've been waiting to talk about this one. Have you? Okay, well, go. What, what would you like to say about The Dead Feelings Limited? Which I am really... I, I, have, to do, I have to say one thing before. It did... It did take me the entire episode um, to realize that I should have expected from the very beginning, I should have expected a Wes Anderson parody based on the title. I just didn't get the title as something related (laughs) to Wes Anderson. I mean, they did choose like the least known Wes Anderson movie title. Yeah, I suppose, but... Uh, Yeah, so that's in there, that's that. Uh, (laughs) This is an episode that I'm putting in my my pantheon of all-time great Simpsons episodes that happened, like, after season eight. Mm -hmm. We've previously talked years ago in this podcast about um, their non-Treehouse of Horror Halloween episode they did in season 27, uh, and how amazing... That episode is one of the all-time great episodes. And I think this is pretty much on par with that in terms of the story that it tells, the jokes that it makes, and what happens. Um, loved it. Love, love, love it. I think The Simpsons are nominated for an Emmy every year, and sometimes I'm kind of like, that one? Okay. Uh, <laughs> and this one, it's like, oh, yeah. Thank goodness. What is it about this one in particular? Is it is it just... The characters, the storytelling, what what is it about this one in particular that hits so well? I think it tells a story that is um, topical in a Simpsons way right now, number one. Um, number two, it's a full, complete story arc without like a lot of random stuff along the way. Mm-hmm. Like it all is connected to the main story. Um, much like the Halloween one we talked about where it's all about like Homer and Lisa's relationship, and that's the whole thing. And this is not really about the main characters of the show, but it's about comic book guy and not wanting to be a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it tells that complete story and transformation there. Um, number three, it's about comic book guy, who I love, and also brings back Kumiko, his wife, after, like, she had, like, a couple episodes when they got married and then, like, disappeared. <laughs> Never heard from again. It's like, oh, Kumiko, you're still here. Thank you. Uh, and number four, I think that all the jokes land and are funny and have to do with the plot as well. I, I wrote down one line that I loved that I thought it's just the funniest joke. And it feels like the whole episode evolved around that line. And maybe it was supposed to be about the Simpson family originally. And they realized it just didn't work for them dramaturgically. It's when they're talking comic book guy's dad and he's like working on his own collection and talking to the Simpson family. We're not a family to rummage through the past, emotionally speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yes it's a family of collectors that rummage through the past but the dad is saying controversially we don't rummage through the past emotionally just physically 
<laughs> I, I do find it really satisfying when The Simpsons is able to link character and theme with uh, pop culture parody in a way that just works more for the character as opposed to something that feels tacked on like a skin that doesn't fit. I mean, it doesn't happen as often, but this this was a really wonderful marriage between those things. Like it, it didn't, if I didn't know Wes Anderson movies, which I mostly don't, but if I didn't know Wes Anderson movies, um, I think I it would still be uh, it was still a a good experience to have this the way it was told worked for what they were getting across for comic book guy's character. Yeah, and all all the characters, especially the Simpsons, are consistent in their character. It kind of gets back to the root without them being exaggerated ideas of who they were in season two, mm. like. Homer is a dad who makes questionable decisions but loves his family. Marge is meddling but not like overly meddling and nagging. And like the kids are kids and haven't seen the Simpsons universe equivalent of Back to the Future. Which um, Dan Castellaneta as Doc Brown, whom he played in Back to the Future, the animated series when it originally came out. So I do appreciate that. I didn't catch that, but of course you did and appreciated that. And I appreciate that for you. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, oh, he's doing the thing. <laughs> so, yeah, stamp approval for me. Uh, I put this, I'd amend this to our, our episode a while ago about like best Simpson episodes after Mod Flanders dies. This one, add to the list. <laughs> put it on the list. Our, that list is going to get longer. Um, that's good. It's good that it, it didn't just stop. Like, yeah. Nothing new to add. Should we uh, predict our, our favorites from this category before moving on to the next one? Sure. Um, I feel like Plague of Madness is probably the most compellingly told and compellingly animated. However, I feel like South Park is going to win. Yeah, I totally agree with your summary. I, I just, I just feel like they they came at the monster head on, and <laughs> I feel like people are going to be like, uh, in some ways, it's a cathartic experience, and they'll go for that. I mean, I like the smallness of the Bob's Burgers version of it, so I'd, I'd like to see that. Um, but I feel like it's going to be South Park. It could be a surprise upset from The Simpsons coming in there, but I feel like I feel like South Park may be primal. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that sometimes The Simpsons win. Um, <clears throat> with these other things that I like, and it's, I'm so sad they've put such a good contender forward when this is a year full of good contenders. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not sad to have had that contender in my own life and experienced it. Hmm. Yes. Let's, let's, let's have good experiences. Yeah. 
Um, speaking of other experiences that we had, um, let's talk about the four nominees. Um, and because they're short, I don't know how much we have to say about them. <laughs> yeah. But how should we hit this? Shall we, since we just talked about The Simpsons, should we start with The Simpsons? Let's keep it going. The Simpsons train is still rolling. All right. So Maggie Simpson in Synergy, I'm sorry, <laughs> The Force Awakens from its nap. I think they'd be the first to admit and say that this is Simpsons Synergy. Oh, Simpsonergy? This is Disney going... We like Robot Chicken parodying our things and saying new things, but we don't own Robot Chicken, so we need something that does that. The Simpsons. We own those, right? You make random shorts that aren't available anywhere, like all your election shorts. Like, Make some for Disney+, Plus, please. <laughs> so here we are. This was the first... Sec- this is the second Simpsons short made for Disney+. Plus. The first one riffing on a Disney Plus thing. Yeah. First one, because of course the most recent ones that just came out riffing on Loki will probably be nominated next year. Right. That's and that's fine. Yeah. That one had Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> it did. This was just Maggie Simpson. And it was mostly silent. So this was, I feel like. Uh, it was great. How many Star Wars sight gags can we do in two minutes? Make it happen. Like let's let's yeah. just make it happen. Because uh, <laughs> that's all it is. Because it's Maggie. There's no dialogue. Um, they don't have to pay Julie Kavner as March. Like let's let's just go for Simpson sight gags of of Star Wars. And the overarching plot being Maggie's in a new daycare and she loses her pacifier and needs to get it back, as in most Maggie Simpson plot lines. Right. Except this one is a Star Wars, not themed daycare. It's just a Star Wars daycare. (laughs) Existing in Star Wars out of time and space for any of the plot of the movies you know and love. Where it's just a mashup of every possible, like Ahsoka's there, but grown up Ahsoka is there. <laughs> I appreciate that we got Ahsoka in The Simpsons. And for that alone, I appreciate that this exists. <laughs> like That's the only main character that you get to. Everyone else is like a play off one of the main characters. Oh, that's why BB-8's there. And yes, and lots of BB-8s are there. A lot of computer-generated yeah. BB-8s are there. Yeah, also, for some reason. Also, Obi-Wan is making PB&Js. Oh, okay. I thought I assumed there was like a riff on him, like the general grievous diaper changer. Um, yeah, I mean, odds are it is a riff. It's probably not Obi Wan. It's yeah, but like Ahsoka's like the most <laughs> true to her original design and character and status <laughs> for some reason. I'm glad Disney and Lucasfilm was like putting Ahsoka everywhere. <laughs> Synergy. I. Uh... What did you think? I'm really curious about your thoughts. Um, this ends with Star Wars rules. <laughs> yes. How, how, how do you feel they did in terms of defining Star Wars rules? 
I don't remember all the rules, um, but they weren't wrong. Okay. <laughs> I do remember that. Ah. <laughs> uh, any anything else to say about Maggie Simpson? I don't think so, but I think while we're we're on Disney Plus Synergy, we should do Once Upon a Snowman, a Frozen Short. I feel like that that makes sense to do. Um, because Star Wars kind of set the precedent, I feel, uh, we can now end up with a spin-off or movie or short or something that fills in a plot hole left over from a movie. Maybe even do a whole series based on it. Who knows? This is the solo of the Frozen Cinematic Universe. <laughs> so we all know that somehow during the song Let It Go, Elsa builds builds Olaf as a snowman and walks away and creates her castle. But we never see that snowman come to life to be friends with Anna and Kristoff later on in the film. So it's like, oh, well, how did that happen? Let's make a random short about that moment and kind of Lion King one and a half it to um, not be a sequel, not a reboot, but where was Olaf during these main moments? And not that he's integral to anything, but like, where was he? It's definitely jam-packed. I don't think the short stands on its own, but it's like a nice bonus after you watch the first Frozen movie. And it gives you, it goes from literally like this thing realizing it's alive to the character that is Olaf the moment you meet him in Frozen. (laughs) All of his things that he knows and loves. Mm -hmm. But But it does treat it a lot like Solo, where it's like he needs to have a desire for a... A, a nose he has to enjoy warm hugs he so he has to know what a warm hug is and he has to be totally in love and enamored with summer for some reason so like how do we give this character these three three things and then send him off on his way <laughs> yeah successful <laughs> right. i'm not mad Right. It it was entertaining. Yeah. I mean, Josh Gad is just charming as Olaf. And I feel like that's a character who could have gone toward the annoying valley very quickly. <laughs> and Olaf never does. Like I'm always worried that Olaf is going to be too annoying, but he never is. Never. Yeah. I feel like the marketing pitches him as like a minion, but um, never quite reaches minion territory, that uncanny minion valley. Hmm. Never becomes a Facebook meme for adults everywhere. Uh, I, I appreciate Olaf. It makes me happy. Like the pandemic Olaf shorts were really good too. Oh, I don't think I've seen those. I'm going to have to find them. Olaf at home. Josh Gad and the animators made them while they were at home. They're really, they're really tiny things. Like Olaf drinks pink lemonade and now his body's pink. Like 
don't know how I missed this because I'm like a low-key Frozen franchise fan. <laughs> yeah, look up. I think it's it's Olaf at home. That's what they're called. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. For enlightening my evening. They're super fun. They're just super. They're like one minute long. They're just really, hey, let's do this to make ourselves feel better. Speaking of doing something to make yourself feel better, uh, let's talk about love, death, and robots. Okay, I was like, where is this going? Ice. This is something that's not based. I think it's best to end on robot chicken, personally. But um, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Um, love, death, and robots, an anthology series on Netflix. If you haven't been watching it, which is some combination about love, death, and or robots, and this episode follows the story of two brothers, one who's younger and awesome, and the other who's not as awesome. And this whole thing felt like a Batman Beyond plot. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Tell me about that. What did you mean by that? <laughs> it's like the characters, like if you just took the, the brothers from Batman Beyond, <laughs> aged them up a bit, Terry's no longer Batman, is grumpy about it. Like his younger brother got like spliced and did like the future DNA stuff. This is their relationship now. It's like this is animated like that. They look like those characters. <laughs> so my head is just Batman Beyond. <laughs> I like this. This was um, very visually engaging and pretty. Mm. And it takes place uh, not on our world, not probably not in our reality. And another planet, uh, mostly ice. Um, and there are space ice whales under the ice. Yes, that is their technical name. Glowing space ice whales. And um, the two brothers go out with uh, the really strong brother's friends to go out on the ice to tempt. They're all modded. Yeah. Yeah. To go and tempt out the the space ice whales to the surface and race and try to beat them back to to be safe as a thrill that these modded folks do but it's never super explicit like how they're modded or what that is right and whether that matters to I mean, they're definitely acrobatic and nimble and fast and strong. But it's like, or were they modded because they did something? Or was it modded because they smoked that weird glowing pipe thing, which then the unmodded brother does? I don't know. I, I was, it was engaging. I like watching it. I definitely um, am left with questions like, what 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 was the story about? Mm-hmm. There, there's a moment where the the modded brother hurts his leg which forces the unmodded brother to pick him up and run with him and make it because the the unmodded brother's falling behind and having trouble and then he suddenly gets energy because he has to save his brother then we find out that his brother wasn't really actually hurt at the end. Oh, I thought he was. Was he still? 
See, I thought he was still limping at the end or something. He didn't look like he was limping to me. I, it looked like the brother was like, hey, you just walking now? I guess we have to watch it again and be like, what happened in this short? Because <laughs> I thought it was like the mod brother was like, see, I, I did you a favor to make it, you know, to get you motivated so you could save our lives. But maybe I could that be would wrong. be a story arc, and uh, I do like that take. If it's wrong, <laughs> it's not. A, it's not a good take. But yeah, I, I was just trying to figure out the peer pressure angle, or if it was the brother angle. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But it was very pretty. I think on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have our next short. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Robot Chicken Endgame. And I don't think they take it as an insult that they're uh, not pretty. That's the whole style. Right. <laughs> That's the point. It's a choice. I'm interested to see if there's more Robot Chicken after this, because I, I think you noted this feels like a series finale and i agree but i think robot chicken has felt like that before <laughs> and the intro keeps changing every time they come back and so i who is the zombie robot they're gonna have in the intro next time i don't know <laughs> i don't know it it just feels final um but it does robot it does what Robot Chicken does. I I like that it had a it, sort of like an arc at, to it. Yeah, it was. I at first was like, is this like a choose your own adventure short that like I'm not on the right streaming service or platform to actually choose? It's showing me the default options. It's like, oh no, it's making fun of this. Okay, cool. <laughs> it just took a minute for me to like get to the part where I was making fun of it. <laughs> I, I I will say as as spoilers, the end moment I think is just brilliant. And I love loved it. And I do agree that they found the perfect thing. The the evil doctor from the intro gives a big speech that he's been showing TV to a test subject for years trying to determine what the perfect the perfect joke is. What's the perfect joke? We've been looking at everything, every possible joke, every possible variation to scientifically determine what the perfect joke is. And he's giving this speech in front of like his Academy of Science people or whatever. And he says, we finally figured out what it is. And I have the perfect joke. And he opens the envelope, moment of silence. It just goes, la la land. And that's the end of the episode. And I, I agree. It wasn't what I was expecting, but it is a pop culture moment that Robot Chicken make fun of, even if it's not a property Robot Chicken make fun of. It's it's the perfect punchline. It's just long enough to happened to solidify that pop cultural Oscars moment as an ongoing meme, which it already was. It's it's just perfect. Anytime you're not sure what to do and you're giving a speech, just go la la land and walk off the stage. <laughs> it's a great joke. I kept. I was talking um, about joke setups. Um, with my wife over the weekend and just thinking about, I said, look, the best jokes know about expectations 
And it takes your expectation and either subverts them in a meaningful way uh, or it like um, it either denies or just gives in to those expectations in, in, in a satisfying way. And some jokes will do multiple twists and turns to get you there. You know, we'll deny <laughs> deny your expectations and then totally pay them off in the next. Um, I, I do like those are my favorite. Like we'll subvert. No, we'll still we'll actually pay it off for you. Like it's those are my favorites because it's that delight. But this one just totally subverts. But it just gives the. But it also does. How do I want to say this? Your expectation is that there is not like it's going to be dumb. Like that's your expectation. Like there's no possible way that this joke could be anything. And then but you're just waiting for a joke. Yeah, you're at least expecting something in the form of a joke, not realizing that you're already in the joke. You've been incepted into the joke Mm -hmm. in this bit already. The setup is not what's being said. The setup is what you're seeing. Exactly. <laughs> and it's it's the layer of like La La Land being the wrong answer at the Oscars. So like, is it the perfect joke? No, it's the wrong answer. That's the joke. <laughs> it's perfect. It is the perfect joke. Well, it's also not the perfect joke. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so talking through this category... Which do you think is going to win? I think for sheer recognizability and doing what it's doing, maybe alone, I think the Maggie Simpson short is going to win. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I was going to say for recognition and for what it's actually trying to do and what it accomplished, I was going to say Once Upon a Snowman is going to win. I could see that it just feels like it's um, not as self-contained as the Maggie Simpson one. Mm. What I'm hoping for is a robot chicken upset. (laughs) I could see that. Have they won an Emmy before? They must have. Have they? Did they win last year for the one we talked about? Did they? They've been making that up. Now we have to, now we have to, now we have to look. Sorry, you thought we were at the end of the podcast because the part where Mackenzie Googled something. <laughs> uh, 22 nominations, six Emmys. So they have uh, one before. Wonderful. In 2018 and 2016, but not uh, last year. Not the one that we talked about last year. Okay. I can see this one working so i would say robot chicken but i feel like it's going to be once upon a snowman but you you say maggie simpson's getting it maggie simpson's walking away with it maybe because they couldn't give it to the simpsons in the big category they'll give it to the simpsons in the little category people think that way too we'll see maybe if robot chicken does win i hope they just announce it by just saying la la land (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That'd be too meta for the Emmys, though. 
Oh, it reminds me of this joke from The Naked Gun 33 and a third, the third movie, where they're at the Academy Awards and one of the envelopes has a bomb in it. And they're like, they've set up this whole thing at the Oscars that, you know, out of all of the nominees for Best Picture, only one of them didn't make any money at the box office. And then he gets up there and he's talking on his headset or something. And he opens the envelope. He goes, it's the bomb. And all the people (laughs) stand up who like did the movie that didn't make any money. They're like, hey, we did it. We won the award. Because, oh, it's such a bad, terrible joke. But so good. (laughs) Well, should we talk about our favorite things? Yeah. What was your favorite thing? I said one thing, but I feel like it's, I I feel like I want to go back on that. Um, (laughs) Because I feel like my favorite thing when, when I'm looking at it, um, I do love the quiet small moment with comic book guy talking to Bart and Lisa after they watch back to the future. Because I keep, every time I keep imagining all these shows, I keep going back to that moment. And it's such a nice, sweet little moment where he realizes, I just passed something on. And these kids who I didn't give any, you know, give any thought to, they appreciated something. And they saw what I appreciated in it. It's, it's like sharing, oh, I don't know, like Voltron with an eight-year-old and being like, this is awesome, isn't it? So nice. Yeah. Hits home for us nerds. <laughs> How about for you, Mackenzie? I put down uh, two very, very quick things. Uh, one is in the Maggie Simpson short. Um, they have a one moment where they throw a diaper in a trash can, the lid closes, and it turns out it's R2, and he just does the R2 sigh, like, ooh, <laughs> as the diaper's dumped in him. <laughs> Funny. I see it. Um but my favorite overall thing is um, the South Park opening song that Cartman sings. And it is just such such a pandemic mood. It spoke to me on like a deep molecular level. <laughs> Can't get over it. Because of course, we talk in life about living. Am I really living? Am I living my best life? And Cartman sings a song that the whole chorus is, this is what I call existencing. It's like, that is what we're doing we're existencing right now and he's finding joy in it and I too can find joy in existencing without living <laughs> it's a funny wordplay it's a great song it's a good character moment uh, very clever A plus double plus good well shall we talk homework time let's For your homework, things are getting a little nuts. We are going to have you take a look at some changes between two very famous characters and see how they've changed throughout the years. And yes, of course, we are talking about Chip and Dale, the lovable chipmunks. 
Um, so on Disney Plus, you can find all three of these things to track the character development and the different ways these stories are told. You can watch the the short Food for Feudin from 1950, I believe, <laughs> or the 1940s. It's an older one, um, Chippendale episode. Uh, I'm sorry, a- animated short. And then you could watch Chippendale Rescue Rangers, episode 23, An Elephant Never Suspects. And then you can watch the new series, Chippendale Park Life, episode four, which includes A Nut You Can't Refuse. And we'll just see how the storytelling has changed and what has stayed the same for these two lovable characters. Which is also something you could say about uh, Chris McKenzie hosting this podcast. That's the subtext. That is the subtext. (laughs) As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed and the Champagne Drops for our theme music. Let us know what you agree and or disagree with on Twitter at WG Animated. And you can find links to show notes and other things at writersgetanimated.podbean.com. Calm. And I don't know if we know who the winner is by the time this airs. <gasps> We're on top of our game. I, yeah, we won't know. We won't know. I guess we'll tell you next episode. Guess we'll tell you next episode. Good night, everybody.